Sunday. Yeah, a few of you are happy it's Sunday. <laughs> this is your first time here. Maybe it's been a long time. Uh, my name's Josh, and my wife Brittany and I are the lead pastors here at Greenville First. And uh, thanks to Pastor Dustin uh, for covering for me last Sunday. And uh, and yeah, he did a great job. And uh, Brittany and I were uh, taking some some vacation time that was already scheduled. Uh, back at Christmas, and so uh, it's just always, it's nerve-wracking when you're like away and you can't control anything, and I just promised that I'm, I'm like, I'm going to disconnect, because uh, if, you, if you've never been around a pastor uh, for very much, it's hard for us to disconnect sometimes, and so um, thank goodness uh, we went with some of our best friends, and, uh, and we put 1,700 miles on a rental minivan last week. Uh, and so we were talking when we got back and, and he said, I, you know, I could have driven and I'm like, no, 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 it was good. I couldn't control anything else, but driving the vehicle last week and by driving, it kept me from being connected to stuff that needed to happen. Cause if I was in the passenger seat, I'd have been working the whole time. So, uh, it was great, but we were two hours behind last week. And so my body didn't know that. So uh, I told last service, I worshiped with you in bed uh, last Sunday. And, uh, and so that sounded, you know, no better this service than it did last service. Um, but, you know, anyways, for those of you joining online, I understand what it's like to be on the other side now. And, uh, and it's great. We welcome everybody here. And we're wrapping up our series, uh, the book of James today. And I told last service, uh, we're, we're, you know, we were going to be in chapters four and 15 today. I don't know why I said 15. Uh, I meant four and five because when we had slotted this series, uh, for this time, I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Between Easter and Mother's Day, there's five Sundays, five chapters in James. It's going to be great. And then Brittany reminded me that Mother's Day is next Sunday and not the following Sunday. So we all make mistakes. Hopefully you're married to a good woman uh, as well. And so I just know that I would disappoint you if I didn't hit chapters four and five today. And so uh, for all of you OCD people in the room that are like, we can't do a, a series on the book of James and end in chapter four. What is this? And so we're going we're gonna to hit that today. And so uh, if this is your first time hopping in with us, or maybe you missed a, a few weeks, uh, week one, we talked about trials and temptations from chapter one of James. Uh, week two, we talked about faith and action. Last week, uh, Pastor Dustin was in chapter three, talked about the power of our words. And so here's the cool thing. We can hit chapters four and five today because James did not write his letter in chapters. Did you know that? 
Okay, I'm going to educate you a little bit. When we write letters, we normally don't write them in chapters. And so uh, when, when the scriptures were compiled, that's when verses, James is not saying, dear Christians, verse 1, chapter 1. Okay, that's not how he wrote the letter. He wrote the letter. It went to believers around the world who were scattered. We talked about that in week one, that that's kind of the tone. And this book was written as a manual for how to live as a Christian. This is, this is just practical stuff. James is real honest. You, if, even if you consider yourself a simple person, you can read James and hear what he's saying. Uh, James is my kind of dude. And so uh, today we're going to be at the end of chapter four, beginning of chapter five, and we're going to be talking about having an eternal perspective, having an eternal perspective. And I read this this week in my prep. And so um, an article, a, a writer had written this, and, um, and I just want to read it to you to kind of set the tone today. It says, all Christians go to heaven, but some leap and stride into paradise from their deathbeds, peaceful, confident, and happy. Others limp and shuffle, clinging, denying, and frightened. Why the difference? In my experience, it's what they know or don't know about what's coming next. Jesus has guaranteed his people a glorious future. But have they fully grasped what he has fully secured? Those who haven't will likely die clinging to a broken present rather than a perfect future. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time together. God, I pray that for all of our hearts, whether we walked into the room today a believer or we're searching, let us be challenged to have an eternal perspective because I believe it changes the way we live. So God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds that we may receive from you today. In your name we pray. Everybody said Amen. Amen. So James, we're going to be picking up in chapter four. Uh, and these are just kind of some principles that will help us have an eternal perspective. And the first is this. It's real simple. Time on earth is short. Time on earth is short. James 4, 13 through 14 says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James, plain and simple. You want to make your plans? Go for it. But your life is but a mist. It's going to evaporate. And so you may sit here and say, well, does James mean that we shouldn't plan anything in our life ever? No. That's not what he's telling us to do. But if you hear the tone and you'll understand when you read the, the passages in its entirety is that they were making their confidence in themselves versus what God was calling them to do. This is where we have to understand that life is short and we cannot afford to put our confidence in ourselves versus the one who created us. There's a vast difference between me determining I am going to accomplish these things tomorrow, next week, in my life, whatever timeline you want to set. There is a difference in me setting forth these steps versus God setting forth my steps. James is talking about the mindset here. 
He's trying to challenge the readers of this letter to not put things into your own hands. Because your life is short when we look at eternity. Now, I've seen this a, a, a few times, different ways. Sometimes people, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll pull out a rope and they'll, there'll be a little piece of tape on it. And it's like, hey, here's the eternity and here's your life. But today I felt like it'd be a little more fun to go a little nostalgic. Does anybody, do people even know what this is? Oh, that's from last service. There we go. They used to, I'm going to educate people who may not know. They used to make printers where the paper did this. Oh, it ripped. That's even worse. Eternity's done. I got to do this again. I walked too fast. Now I'm losing it. Y'all just going to have to be patient with me for a second. We used to have one of these printers at the house. And I loved tearing the little things off the side. You ever do that? Does anybody, if you need some therapy after service, we'll leave the box up here and you can come tear the sides off. Okay. <laughs> but here's the truth of life. This is eternity. But here's what happens. Our life is but a speck in the whole scheme of things. There's a lot more paper in here. We could probably pass this whole thing around because it's a brand new box. And then if we really try to like mix it up and then go try to find where your life is, life is short. But most of us, we live this way. So I can't see anything else that's happening because I'm so consumed with my life and where I stand in this current situation, circumstance, that I'm not looking, I'm not caring, I'm not valuing eternity. Because if we do, we begin to realize that my life in this whole scheme of things is real short. So I can try to make my plans, I can try to live my life for me, but in the end... I've got a blip on a piece of paper versus the potential of eternity with my heavenly father. And it's not just for me, but it's also for those around me that I can influence in helping to make sure that their eternity is shared with the creator of the universe. So now I get to clean up my mess and you just get to, I at least didn't twist the paper that time. I, 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 for last service, I twisted it all up and we had some teachers in the room that I think I about gave them a conniption. So if you're an educator in the room, and I don't know, we're just going to make a little pile there. It's good. If anybody has one of those printers and can use some paper, you can also take that after service. But here's what happens. When we have the wrong perspective, it's all about we're just looking at our life right here. And there's often times in our life that we've got obstacles in our way that we can't see past what God's doing, what he's asking us to do, because we've just become so self-focused and self-centered that we miss it. But the right perspective is to realize that my life is but a blip and I've only got a certain amount of time. And so in that time, I've got to do and accomplish everything, not that I want to do, but that God wants me to do and that he has for me. Martin Luther said this. 
Live as though Christ died yesterday. He rose today and is returning tomorrow. See, I grew up in this very church, and I remember being a teenager and just praying, God, just don't come back until I get married and experience a little bit of life. So y'all laugh because you prayed those same prayers. We're just having a little bit of confession time here. But when we think about even that, there is just such a, why do we do that? Why would, why would we really have that desire in our heart? Because we don't want Jesus to come back because we want to experience what we can experience in this life. From a very young age, if we're not careful, we can have a self-perspective of, of how life should look versus an eternal perspective of how my life should look. And if Jesus is coming tomorrow, that's something to be excited about. When we start talking about heaven and start talking about eternity and where our eyes should be set to, that's something that in all of us should well up. But too many times, we, just like the quote I read at the beginning, we, we begin to, to feel like we're clinging because we're scared of what tomorrow will look like. Well, the only reason that, that our eternity, we should be fearful of our eternity is if our life isn't right or we put our hope and trust in things that do not matter and they'll be gone anyway. We have to have urgency when we realize that eternity is at stake and my life is but a vapor. It's but a mist to dissipate, to be gone. And so if I've only got this window, I've got to have some urgency. That's why if this is your first time here, let me tell you, our vision for the year is for the one. That's why when you walk our hallways, you see big letters out there of people that we're praying that this would be the year that they would come into a saving relationship with Jesus. Because we've got to have some urgency. We can't keep going on in this life like there's not a ticking time clock. Just this week, I got a phone call from a friend who is all shaken up because a former coworker of his died at 26 years of age from a drug overdose. And he said, Josh, I just wish I had done something else. I feel like there, there's some responsibility on me. And I know their relationship, and I know that there was some investment and some conversations about eternity that took place, but we have got to live with that kind of urgency in our life. That we look around at our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors, and we stop just walking in and shutting the door and disconnecting from those around us and realizing that God put me on earth for a certain time with a certain calling. Certain opportunities that we have an opportunity to fulfill if we'll have some urgency. The second thing is we have to choose God's will over my will. Choose God's will over my will. The truth is God has a plan and it's the best plan. God has a plan for your life and it is good and it is great and it is the best plan that you could ever have for your life. James 4, 15 through 17 says this, instead, so this is in response to I'm making my plans. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, this is hard to swallow, verse 17. James and I probably have argued about this one a little bit just because there's not a lot of gray area. If you know what's good and you don't do it, it's sin. 
And can I tell you today, God hates sin. God loves us, but he hates sin. You know why? Because sin separates us from him. And I think when we talk about things like this, where if we know good and we don't do it, it's sin, we try to justify that we're in a good... No, pastor, I'm in it. I'm, I'm good. I, I know God's asking me to take 10 steps, but eight's pretty good. Because all my friends, they're only taking two or three. So if I take eight, I'm good. Now, I told, there was a chunk of our students in the last service, and I said, can I tell you that partial obedience is disobedience? And there wasn't a lot of response, so I looked at the students and I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Next time your parents ask you to clean your room, just go fluff your pillows and say, well, I at least did a little bit. It doesn't work out very well in our households. Why? Because we want full obedience when we ask our kids to do something, when we're, when we're asking those we're in authority over, when we ask them to complete a task. We, we don't want them to just go 50% or 60% or 70% when they're capable of going 100 So why do we try to justify our life that if we just go part of the way, then we're good? But if what God is calling us to do, we're not fulfilling completely, we're living in sin. And it's real quiet. Because you know what? All of us struggle with this. Because God's will is not, what are you going to do for the rest of your life that's going to bring income into your family? God's will is what you are going to do today and what God's will is for you tomorrow. And so this is not something that we just get to one and done. This is a life to say, not my will, but your will, God. And you know what? There are a lot of days that that's, that's easier said than done. Because God may ask me to be inconvenienced. God may take me through a season where I'm experiencing some suffering. Or it may be a season where I'm struggling to trust him because of everything else. And it's not that God's let me down. It's the world's let me down. And there is some pain that goes on in that process. But if I want to have an eternal perspective, I've got to choose God's will, not my will. See, God determines our timeline. God determines our purpose. We just have to choose whether we'll be obedient. I have watched so many people over the years, from when I was a youth pastor to even being a lead pastor here for almost three years now. I have watched so many people begin this journey to embrace God's will for their life. And it is like one of the most fulfilling things as a pastor to watch the light switch go off turn on, I guess, <laughs> not go off. <laughs> that is not fun. <laughs> uh, but to watch the light switch go on of where somebody comes into this discovery of God has created me for more than I've been operating in. And it's not just what has he created me to do for the rest of my life. I think so many times we look at God's will in this grand piece. Sometimes he's just asking us to look at just the, the first little pencil mark of life, you know, He's just wanting us to, can we be faithful with a little so then he can give us the, the lot? He's not trying, he won't dump on us more than we can handle. Listen, I, I, just, I just turned 36. See, you get past 35 and you just, your memory fails you. I'm just one of the old folks. But here's what I know, God God could, if he chose, could reveal everything that he's going to do in my life from here to the moment I take my last breath, but at 36 years of age, I realize that I can't handle that. 
I can't. You know why? Because I would try to manipulate it and mess it up to see how I could increase where I'm going and what I'm doing. Can I shortcut this? Can I, can I skip this step? I mean, we're all, we're all trying to cheat at the game of life, always. And if you say you don't cheat, you're cheating. You're just trying to distract us. we got a game night small group going on this summer. You better watch all these cheaters in here. Because we all try to do it. We, if there is a way, we may call it strategic. It's cheating. God's calling us to take steps. He's calling us to live our life. He's calling us to live in his will every day. Not ours. But the only way we can do that is if our eyes are focused on heaven because then we realize it's not about us. There's so much more. There are generations coming behind us that we're going to have an influence in. And generations behind them that if we screw this up, passing the baton from generation to generation, they're not going to know how to do it well. It's not all about us. It's about his will. We can't live in fear. We, we can't live in a, in a paralyzed state where we're not having action. We've just got to choose to pursue God's will. And how do we do that? We pray for his will to be done every day. Because that's what Jesus did. Before he went to the cross, he, in his full humanity, prayed and said, God, not my will, but your will be done. Which tells me he struggled with this. Because sometimes it doesn't look like this, this pearly white, clean, just... It doesn't, it doesn't look like a good road that's been well paved. Looks more like Haywood Road, you know, in South Carolina, where you have to swerve to... To avoid potholes just a few times. That's normally what the road looks like. And so it's hard for us at times to choose God's will over our will. But we've got to begin to make it a daily practice. We're in our small group on Wednesday nights. There's a group of us guys. We're reading a book called Pursuit of Holiness. In this past week, we are talking about the battle of will. And so it's just kind of fitting here. Because there is a battle of our will. When God created in the beginning, and, and I love this, it, it says that God created three components here. He created reason, which is our understanding, our comprehension. He, he created will, which is our consent to do his will. And he created our emotion, which is where we delight. It's our desire. And when he created, all of those things were working in sync and harmony. My mind... My will, my emotions were all working in sync and sin broke it. God, he taps in to our reason. He will, he will transform our mind and we can see the need for God. Satan, on the other hand, likes to tap into our, our emotion and our desire. God's not trying to manipulate us with our emotions and our desire, God's very practical because he created us and he knows that emotions are temporary, but if he can transform our mind and the way we think and the way we see life, it can transform our life forever. So there is this battle and here's what we have to do. We have to allow God to control our emotions and our desire so that they can point and direct us to his will. See, we get it out of order. Normally, for us, we flipped it. It's not reason, will, and emotion. It's emotion, will, and reason. That's the, we, we have somehow gotten to where our reason is the bottom. 
And if you don't believe me, just have a conversation with somebody else today, you know, and you'll realize like we are led by our emotion and our desire more than we are our reason. But God is the only one that can bring that back to where it needs to be. See, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.1 to set our hearts on things above. This begins to transform our perspective and to have a view of eternity. So we can choose God's will and not ours. We just have to pray for it. And you know what? That prayer never stops until we breathe our last breath. Not my will, but your will be done. What would your life look like if you just started every day like that? God, not my will today, but your will today. I believe God would begin to open doors that we would have a greater impact in the short time we have here on this earth. The urgency that we have here now is paired with pursuing God's will and not our will. And God will begin to do something great in and through you. The third thing is this, is that we have to be generous with God's provision. Be generous with God's provision. Now, I'm going to tell you this is the nicest way I could put it because James is very direct in what I'm about to read to you. Because we're hopping over to chapter 5. Now, those who, who accumulated scripture and, 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 and put together the Bible as we see it today, this is why they had a break in the chapters, okay? James was being pretty nice in chapter 4. He just goes for it in chapter 5. So I'm not going to make eye contact. I'm just going to read a few scriptures. Picking up in James 5. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. He was in a good mood that day. I'm like... James, you need some ice cream, a milkshake, something. <laughs> Go on vacation. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Sincerely yours, James. <laughs> I can just imagine, like he's... He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him. You know why? Because he was frustrated. We know that James isn't writing this because he just, oh, I just think I should probably tell them this. No, this is coming from a deep place of frustration right here. Now, some would say that this piece of, of Scripture, this part of the letter was targeted towards those out of the church. Others would say it was targeted to those in the church. Here's what I know. Greed is present in the church and out of the church. We struggle with possessions. We struggle with generosity. We struggle with, are we open-handed or closed-fisted? We all do, in church and out of the church. But here's what James says in this passage of Scripture, is that greed leads to misery. He preps them right from the beginning. Hey, if you're greedy, misery's on its way. Prepare yourself because it's all going to rot. It's all going to be gone. It's all going to disappear But the reality is the perspective is just on self. It's on my security. It's on my possessions. It's not on eternity. Second thing we see in these few scriptures is that God sees what's happening. 
talks about the injustice that was taking place, people not being paid for the labor that they were, uh, they were, they were providing. And he says, your, your wickedness, God sees it. I think a lot of times when it comes to, to things like this, and I'm not just talking about finances. I think finances are a big thing that a lot of people struggle with. Because it's hard to say, yes, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. Because we can see those numbers going up and down. It's a lot easier to say, God, I trust you with my health. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my kids. Just when it comes to our possessions, we get real territorial. And that's not targeted at one generation. It's all generations. Because it's self-preservation. It's things that, and I'm not saying, hey, don't, don't. Put into your 401k and your retirement. I think all those things are great. I'm actually very diligent at those things because if the Lord doesn't come back, I want to make sure that my family's provided for. That's not a bad thing, but you won't ever catch me holding on for dear life for what God has already provided for me. Because I've learned even at a young age that generosity is key to curing greed because greed brings misery, greed brings injustice. Greed brings a lot of things in this life that create a lot of pain for you and for others. See, we should be generous. If we have our eyes on heaven, we, we should be generous because God, our Father, is generous. He's prepared a place for us that we can't even comprehend. When we talk about going to a place where there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no brokenness, it's full of joy, it's mansions for all of us, we can't even process that. So what we do in the temptation is that our eyes begin to be on this earth in our life that's staring us in the face versus realizing that God's prepared something so much greater because he is a generous God and a generous Father. To me, I want to live open-handed because I can actually hold a lot more when my hands are open than when my hands are tight. So when we live open-handed, we may see it flow in and out of our hands a lot more because God's asking us to be generous here and he's asking us to be generous there. But we get to see the blessings flow through our hands. But too many times we just try to, oh, God gave me a little. I'm going to hold on to this thing and see how long it can, it can carry me. But if we're trying to hold on to, to what we have, I don't want to be on my deathbed holding on to the hospital sheet. Lord, don't take me. i got to make sure. Who's going to take care of all this stuff that's collecting dust in the garage in the attic? I want my hands to be wide open, my arms to be stretched towards heaven because I can't wait to spend eternity with Jesus. Because when I realize my life is short, when I've pursued God's will over my will, it leads me to a space of where I can be generous. I can be generous with my time. I can be generous with my resources. I can be generous with my thoughts, my creative energy, because there's a lot of problems in this world that I believe the church could actually rise up and solve. But if we're all tight-fisted, we're going to miss it. God's calling us to be generous. Generosity, it cures greed. Generosity can fight injustice. But when we're closed-fisted or our eyes are blinded by obstacles in the way, we miss it. The fourth thing is this, as we close today, is that we should stand firm because these trials are temporary. Stand firm because these trials are temporary. 
James 5, 7 through 11 says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, you think, you think there's a key here? I just keep hearing it. In the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, if you don't know who Job is, let me tell you about Job real quick. He had probably the worst day in the life of human history. He got, in one day, four messages, each bearing separate news that his livestock, all of it gone, wiped out. His servants, every one of them, taken out. All ten of his children, in one day, due to invaders or natural disasters, And what do we find? At the end of that day, Job rips his clothes. He shaves his head because that was was what they did in mourning. But he still blesses God in his prayers. Like, Pastor, I don't understand. How does that even happen? Because Job realized this life is short. Not my will, but God's will. I'm going to always be open-handed. I don't have to be tight-fisted. Because my Lord is compassionate and he exhibits mercy even when I don't understand it and I can't see it. All of this on our worst day is temporary. Every trial we walk through, temporary. Every brokenness that we've walked through, temporary. Every every struggle, every tragedy, temporary. Now, it may be a long season. It may be a big struggle. But it's temporary. Why? Because we have pages of eternity that we get to spend with our creator if we'll make him Lord of our life. That we don't have to look at this because here's what happens. A struggle, a trial, a tragedy, it stares us in the face then we can't see anything else. And I'm not here to try and minimize your trial, your struggle, your your difficulty, your tragedy. I'm not here to do that. Because I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know what life looks like for you today when you leave here, tomorrow when you wake up. What you, what, I don't know. And you may say, Pastor, my struggle right now is as big of a boulder. Is, the room couldn't even contain it. But here's the thing about perspective. This would be a pretty big rock if this was just solid rock all the way. But if this was on one side of the scale... And let's just have fun and we drop Jupiter on the other side of the scale. Perspective matters. And it doesn't matter how big our, tr- our, our trouble is. It's temporary. So you know what? The Lord of mercy and compassion. If my perspective is on spending eternity with him, I can deal with this rock. I can deal with this tragedy because it's him who gives me strength. It's him who leads me through. It's him that's walking me, with me, as I journey in this life to where he wants me to be. I don't have to do this alone. I don't have to let this defeat me because eternity is promised when we walk in relationship with him. 
Stand firm because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We look at the world around us. Maybe we're not even in a season of trial or suffering, but others are. Samuel Rutherford said this, God keeps his best wine in the cellars of affliction. Why? Because it's in those moments that we really taste of the Lord's mercy and his compassion. Charles Spurgeon said this, they who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls because there are people that have walked through the trials and the fires of life to realize that's when I really, that's when I began to really trust in God's promises. Because when we're in the, when we're in the good, that's when we can, oh, God doesn't, okay, I got one hand open, God, I'm tight fisted on the other. Because it's a lot easier when life is good and, and we can try to hold on stuff. We can try to hide stuff. My kids are great at trying to hide stuff. They hide stuff. They'll snatch Brittany's phone all the time. I, I'm, I'm just, I didn't give them my phone password, so they have to come to dad. But they're sneaky. It, it's six and four. They're sneaking stuff. We are good at being sneaky. But when we're in the struggle and the fight of our life, we either choose to embrace our creator that he's got us or we'll get burned up. So here's what happens. When we realize that our trial, our struggle, our our difficulty is temporary, we can cling to our creator and trust him. It's in those moments that we come up with pearls. We're coming up with the good wine that you don't tell nobody about because it's hidden in the back of the cellar. You know, it, it is finding Jesus at who he is and who he wants us to experience him as. It's in the depth of that that he's with us. My heart breaks. A pastor friend of mine just posted on in, in a private message the other day and he was posting about COVID and he said, you know, pray for us. He said, I know a lot of you and, and, and here's the thing, we're in South Carolina, I get. There are so many varying opinions on all of it. I'm not here to talk about it. But he's, here's the thing. He said, I have been so discouraged in watching how the church has responded to this because we had to stop counting the funerals of people in our church who have died from this. So your circumstance may look different, but please be sensitive. It was a cry to other pastors, please. Because there are trials and struggles that are real for people. Who are we to minimize it? We just have to point people to eternity with Jesus. That it doesn't matter what statistics are. I know I have a hope of eternity with Jesus. I can love my neighbor through, you look at all the racial divide that we've, we've struggled with in our country. It doesn't mean that we've got to stand on a soapbox and figure out, we've got it all figured out or that nobody's got it figured out or it had been resolved by now. But we as a church can actually say, hey, we got a hope of eternity and our life is short. So how can we love really, really well? Because God is love and that's what he's asked us to do. I would love to tell you that we figured it all out. We haven't. All I know is when my eyes are focused on eternity, it changes how I live. It changes how I think. It changes how I speak. It changes how I treat others. And James is trying. This is the ending of his letter. Before he gets into having a prayer of faith, he's saying, please keep your eyes focused on what matters. And that's eternity. God says today, I see you right where you are. I see you hurting. I see you confused. I see you lost. I see you burdened. I see your perspectives out of, he sees us right where we are. We could have lived our whole life. I don't care if you're seven or 77 or 107 in the room. There's no excuse of why we can't change the, where our eyes are set today. 
that we can begin to say, I've got a hope of eternity. And that eternity is much better than anything this world's got to offer. So let me do something about it. Let me have some urgency in my life. Let me pursue God's will over my will. Let me become generous with my life and the resources and provision that God's given us. And then above all, let me remember that these trials and what we're walking through right now are temporary. It doesn't mean that we just roll over and don't do anything about it. That just means the one who can resolve it all, if we'll trust him, we can be a part of seeing it through. So today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't have a hope of eternity because I've not made that decision to walk in relationship with Jesus. Every service, every Sunday, we give that opportunity because we believe that eternity matters. And I don't ever want to miss a moment for somebody to walk in relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask in this room, every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed, just a sensitive moment. If you're here today and you just say, Pastor, That's me. You talk about eternity, it scares me because I don't know where I'm at with Jesus right now. I've never made that decision to make him Lord of my life. Whatever your circumstances are, this is the first step. Say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life so that I can spend eternity with you. This great hope and this great promise if that's you in the room today and you say, Pastor, I need to pray that prayer today, will you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking, just me, thank you. Anybody else in the room? Say, I need to pray that prayer. If you're online, you can drop it in the chat. I don't, I don't want to be terrified of eternity. Let that be a great joy and I can live in anticipation of walking with Jesus for eternity. Can we repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, Forgive me of my sin. Become Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to trust you. Love you. Serve you. And serve others. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those who made a decision today to follow Jesus?